So I want to welcome everyone to the second of two book discussions around cultivating genius by Goldie Muhammad. And I have uh, several guests with us today. Um, we're just going to go around the room and introduce ourselves. And we'll start with Ryan. Um, my name is Ryan Deshane, and I am a first grade teacher in Northern Wisconsin. I can go next. I am Rhonda Freeport, and I am a reading recovery teacher slash K through two literacy interventionist. Although this past school year, I did teach kindergarten. Um, and I teach in upstate New York. And I also blog with Jen at um, literacypages.wordpress.com. And we also have a Facebook group um, we search literacy pages. And we also have a, a Twitter. You can follow us on Twitter at literacy pages too. I think it makes sense for me to go next. I'm Jen Arcovio, and I am also a literacy specialist, interventionist, and trained reading recovery teacher in upstate New York. I work in the same district as Rhonda, and I am the co-creator of the Literacy Pages blog. Hi, and I'm Carrie Thomas. I am a reading specialist slash literacy coach in a um, small private school outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Well, I am excited to be with Ryan, Jen, Carrie, and Rhonda here. Um, uh, just had, they've already posted their posts at this point, um, and uh, they've been well received by readers and um, in response to the book, Cultivating Genius. And um, seems like just a, such a timely text. Uh, I realized it came out last year, but um, uh, it's been, very helpful for me as I think about preparing for the 2021-2022 school year. So uh, I thought we'd just go around the room and just everyone share one response, to each of the three questions um, for around the book. Uh, the first one is what are one, two, three key ideas that you uh, took away from Cultivating Genius? And we'll start with Fran. Okay, so for me, I mean, it's, a, it's a very complex text, but I think my biggest takeaway is the histories of marginalized people are important for us to understand our present educational system as well as a path forward. So if we don't, if we don't understand the history, then we don't understand maybe where some of those systemic inequities have came from and what we need to do to move forward in a new direction. So that was my big takeaway. I would concur with that. I'll um, go next because what I was going to say is uh, connect to what Ryan was talking about. I think you can't read this book without taking away um, the fact that white educators need to do more research themselves. And I think it's been a few years in the making for me, um, culminating now with, with reading this book to really understand how um, inequitable my own education was, except I was the one that benefited from it and didn't even realize that it was at the expense of other people. And it, it kind of, you know, brings up some anger to be at this point in my life and only just be realizing how inequitable it was in so many ways. Um, and then when I read 
uh, Cultivating Genius to realize how much history there is in Black culture regarding literacy and learning that I am only just now knowing. <laughs> so, you know, it's my responsibility now to kind of redefine my my own identity as an educator and and do more research in that regard. I appreciate the honest perspective, Jen. Carrie or Rhonda, do yeah. you want to share any kind of key ideas here? So I'll go next. Um, one of the things I took away and I thought was really fascinating. So Jen, you brought up the literary, literary like, and um, how uh, Black folks have a history of these literary societies. And actually, Philadelphia has a ton, has such a rich history of Black literary societies. And me being right outside of Philadelphia, and I teach students who come to my school from Philadelphia schools and, and you know, in the city. And so it just kind of is like this natural way to connect the students with like, um, literacy history and be like no actually like there is a rich history and i think it's like like you said you know i'm a white educator and i teach mostly black and brown students and so to have this um like history of these literary societies that now i know about and like it is my responsibility to be like oh here is this like fantastic history and here are things we've learned from these literary societies that we can take into um, schools now and really lift up and kind of celebrate, um, you know, what what all of our students have to bring um, to the table. Yeah, you're well positioned, Carrie, um, within this context of the book as well as where you're located. Um, something I really took away was just this whole idea of um, teaching kids how to have a positive identity about themselves because that's not just for people of a different color there are so many different things within identity um you know that serve the minority like women like um you know uh homosexuals um you know uh students who are learning a different who are learning english for the first time all of these groups really could serve to have you know this focus on knowing who they are as people and understanding their culture and background and and it leads to more acceptance of yourself and others being accepting of you and feeling like you belong and have a place in the classroom and in your world so i i found myself reading that part about identity over and over again so it just really really um made me think yeah um for myself i was just i appreciate the distinction that the author made between culturally relevant and culturally responsive literacy instruction i don't think i don't think anyone that i've read yet has differentiated between the two and I, uh, culturally relevant seems more like more on the curriculum side of things and culturally responsive more on the instruction side of things but uh, like you said Rhonda, uh, I need to reread it to make sure I'm understanding it correctly. But yeah, a lot of rich ideas that you've all illuminated. And you, know, you talk about identity, um, thinking about one or two changes that you might want to make or you've already made um, since you've read this. Uh, I'll just kind of throw out for the whole group. Um, I can certainly go first. I think 
Um, I've always, I, I teach in predominantly white uh, area and I, I've always thought like I need to be make sure that I'm representing in our text and our instruction um, a lot of diverse uh, representations, I guess. Um, but it really hit home for me that uh, even if, if, if this is, you know, what our population is, it's how critical it is for those one or two or three kids that um, do come in our schools. I mean, it's, it's, I wouldn't say it's more important, but it's just really important for those kids to see themselves um, when they live in a, uh, an area like uh, I live in. So uh, other thoughts on that and just changes you've made or you're planning to make? Um, so I'll, I'll speak. I, I actually just submitted my, uh, my post about this today, but I, I thought of two, and it's funny because I actually picked up this book right when it came out. I saw it and I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get this. It's going to be great for my students. It's going to be great for my school. And so I have like, on the cover, it says an equity framework. And I have literally used this book for the framework to design the literacy program at my school. Um, before I got there, there was no real comprehensive, cohesive literacy program. So I was kind of tasked with building one from the ground up. And um, so I had to do a lot of, you know, kind of digging into what had already been there. What materials are we using? You know, what, what does the curriculum look like? How are we assessing our students? And what I found out, especially from, you know, after reading this book, I realized that a lot of the materials we were using, a lot of the ways we were assessing the students and, and finding levels and doing all that stuff you have to, you know, take data on and everything um, was not very culturally responsive at all. Um, and so, you know, Matt, you talked about being in a predominantly white area and I, I kind of run into, I kind of ran into the problem where, you know, I teach mostly predominantly black and brown students, but the texts that we were using still featured mostly white people on the cover or animals, right? Because like animals have a higher, a higher percentage of being on covers than black and brown students. So, um, I kind of had a similar problem that I had to start, you know, finding texts and finding materials where the students could see themselves at all represented because they just weren't seeing themselves in anything, weren't reading stories about themselves, weren't getting assessments that like they could recognize names or situations or anything like that. Um, and so one of the biggest takeaways was, you know, the identity and just kind of reinforced how important it is where students can see themselves in the text and really make that connection. You know, once I started, you know, showing students books with, 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 uh, with characters that looked like them. And they were like, oh my gosh, this character looks like me. And I know what it's like to go to the barbershop and get my locks taken care of. Or I know what it's like, you know, to see an LGBTQ character doing this because I can relate to that. So um, it just kind of reinforced the importance of that um, seeing themselves in the text. I think there are some quick changes that I can make. Um, you know, a higher focus, even though I'm an interventionist and so I'm primarily working with individuals or small groups of students, um, you know, I can still do more work with identity. I can still use this framework to look at my lessons every day and see if I am, um, you know, accounting for all of these areas that she's talking about, building identity, building um, intellectualism, 
all of those pieces that she's talking about, you know, it, this book is really a, a call to action for us all to, to uh, critique what we're doing. And I can do that right now with, with what I, I'm in control of uh, where I work. Um, and uh, I think asking um, daily, does what I'm doing right now today with this student or these students really develop their intellectualism or is it telling them what to be or do? And so uh, that's something quick I can do now, but then there comes the systemic part. How do we disrupt the system to, you know, favor all students? And so that's, you know, that's the bigger change that has to take place that requires a bigger group of people. So that will be on our plates to make sure that what we've learned here goes someplace else besides my room and the students I work with. Yeah, I like that call to action. And um, I think that's a great, great way to see this book. Uh, Rana, did you want to add to that? Yeah. Um there was a part in the book about um, how students are often described um, kind of in a negative way, uh, Black students especially, um, in like urban areas. And so I think too, as a, a literacy um, specialist, we meet with teachers a lot. So it gives us the opportunity to kind of model that positive talk, like leading with the students' strengths rather than starting with their with the things that they need. Um, so that's one way I think that I could make a change. Well, it's, it's something that I'm doing, but to be a little bit more intentional about it, maybe. And um, another thing I was thinking about is to maybe um, just question things more, because I this just made me think about, this book made me think about so many situations that I've come across as a teacher. And one uh, situation that just popped in my head today was, I had a parent contact me before school started and they wanted to know if there, if there were going to be any other black children in the classroom because her daughter was black. And um, I feel like at the time, I just, I was, I was kind of like, oh, okay. But I don't think I really thought about it the way I should have. Like now I'm thinking, you know, what was that parent's experience like in school? Most likely she grew up in that same area in the same classrooms with lots of white people. <laughs> and like, even just think about my own kids, if I had to advocate for them to be in a, in a setting where they would be with other kids like them, so they would feel like they would, they belong. If education looked different and we already had things in place, it wouldn't matter. I feel like if, you know, if you were in a classroom with, um, people that were, it wasn't very diverse if it was set up in a way that they could still see themselves in different ways. If that makes any sense. For sure. And um, one of the posts, I can't remember whose it was, but asked, started to question just a typical practice that they've had in their school. It might have been Jen. Um, was it you, Jen? Yeah, the um, what you want to be when you grow up. Yeah. Yeah. And just like you, you, you almost seem like you were looking at that event through new eyes. And um, I thought that was a nice example of what Ron is talking about. And I think kind of leads into our last part, which is just one, what's one question you have 
still after reading this book and for me it's <laughs> i don't know why i get stuck on these things but i wanted to see like the unit template she talked about units and lessons i'm such a concrete thinker in, in some ways but i wanted to see what was a what was the unit template looking like her lessons were great in the back but just from a from a book standpoint what was um what was that progression of learning um what was that kind of like story that you know you can create around historically responsive literacy instruction um beyond just the one lesson but um it was just a, a question i had uh, what about you Ryan, what do you think? I'm going to be the I'm going to be the elephant in the room person. Um, mine is for for administrators or principals and, and other colleagues who haven't yet begun to grapple or delve into this work. Who maybe come from a stance of you're you're going at this too fast and it's very politically charged how to shift that mindset to, to beginning the work and, and, and engaging and investing in learning more. Um, I, I think that's, that's a difficult challenge, especially where I'm at because we don't have a lot of diversity. So sometimes the narrative is, why does it matter? And, and it's, I guess years ago, I, I probably was on that same wavelength because it's like Maya says, you know, do what you know until you know better and then do better. And so I'm trying really hard to do better, but I don't quite know how to get others there. And so that's my big question of how do we do that? Mm -hmm. That culture is huge. Ryan, Ryan, I think I was thinking along the same lines as you. I think that we do have a pretty big push in our area to attack this type of work, but I don't, um, how do we get to the place where we're not just kind of going through the motions of, of, you know, learning about these things or even doing a book study, but it doesn't really, you know, meet, meet the need that, or meet the purpose that we really want to meet. Yeah. I want that call to action to be now. I, I want, I want everybody to be on that same wavelength of, hey, we need to we need to jump in with both feet. There is no people aren't ready for this. Come on, <laughs> let's let's just do it. And it's uncomfortable, you know, it's uncomfortable. And I when you see something that doesn't look like it or doesn't look like it will be, you know, um, equitable or it looks like it may support oppression in some way um it's uncomfortable to say something but you know there someone we have to say it you know and so i think that's my my goal for myself is you know to always say something um but but you're right because not everyone is is in the place to hear it and so i had that down as a question too how do we get this in front of people who need to see it? Um, you know, because we, like you're saying, the the idea is, you know, we need to go slowly, we need to build this up, we need to make everyone comfortable. But there have been millions of people who have been who have not been comfortable for a very long time, 
So that's that's also my question too. And then also, where do I look next? What what resource do I go to next to to help with that? So yeah, I I feel like I had the similar a similar question, right? So like, how do we get other people on board with this? Because it's one thing, you know. For us all to be sitting here, you know, having a book club and talking about the book and like, oh, we're going to read this, but like, what do we do? And so that's something I've been thinking a lot about this year. So I am one of at, at my school, I'm one of the founding members of our diversity committee. And so we are very um, committed to action steps as part of the group, because it's like this, this, we just need to do something. And as small as it is, it just has to be like something. So we, we take small actions. Like, what can we do? Like I, I frequently send out book lists and highlight, you know, some, um, celebrations that are coming up, you know, it's Ramadan. So here's a book list for Ramadan that's coming up, right? It's Eid. So here is what we do on Eid and just kind of like these action steps and getting it kind of into just like, everyday language like this is what we're about now this is what the school is about this is what instruction is about and and really if when 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 the question comes up because it always comes up like why do we have to do this we've been doing this for 30 years you know i don't know why we need to change things and it's because you know it always comes back to the students it's like well look at the students what are what is the best thing for our students what do our students need because that's what we're doing in school right and so i think that's kind of where i tie everything. And sometimes it's difficult for people to kind of get on board with that. But I think really just being strong and this is for our students and this is the world our students are growing up in and this is what they need to know and this is how to prepare them to be out there. So I think my question is kind of like, you know, how do we get other people on board and, you know, how what what size is the action step? You know, where is that line between too little and then too much? And how do we kind of navigate that um, that area um, of action there? I um, I think the fact that we're recording this and we're going to post this, you know, publicly, uh, our thoughts I think is a great first step. Um, I, I, I think when we talk about this as a group, uh, we normalize it, you know, um, just like we would do in a school. And it just gives permission for everyone else to start talking about it too. And the little things that you're doing in your schools um, to make it part of your culture, you know, and to be the leaders that you are. Um, I don't think of any of you as just teachers. I think of you all as leaders too. And the, your willingness to uh, put your thoughts down publicly, I think is courageous. So, uh, I want to thank you all for doing that and thank you for being here tonight. Thank you. Yeah.